0: All right, we're picking up where we left off last week in the middle of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8 and following and we'll see how far we get tonight. So in verses 6 through 8, let's read again where we left off. It says for in scripture it says, "See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious" Cornerstone, And the one who trusts in Him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So we're going to stop here and just kind of break this section down. Uh, And we already touched on it a little bit last week. I just want to kind of clean up and wrap up a little bit uh, from there. Uh, We need to be very, very clear and honest. There are many who have a problem with Jesus being the foundation stone of what God is doing. You remember last week we looked at how the Bible says here that God is building a spiritual house. And that we are not only the bride of Christ, we're being built into a spiritual house with other believers. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. But we have to just deal with this briefly. We're not going to take too much time with it. But there's a lot of people in this world today who have a real issue with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. They say that we can believe in Jesus if we want to. But we can't say that Jesus is the only way to God. They say God may be building other spiritual houses with Jesus not as the foundation, but other ways. In other words, there's many other ways to get to God. I want to just show you two passages of Scripture that just kind of seal that deal and settle it once and for all. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Here in Paul dealing with actually something else, he makes a very important theological statement. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Do you see that? There is no other foundation which can be laid. If you're going to try to get to God any other way without Jesus being the chief cornerstone, it it can't be done. And Jesus Himself, we're not going to turn there. You know John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said what? I am the way and the truth and the life, here's the important part, no one can come unto the Father except through me. Alright, so just kind of get that baby settled. As we look at God building this spiritual house with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, the Bible is very, very clear that He is the only way that you can get to God. If it hasn't been built on who Jesus is, it's not good. Now, we got to deal with this just briefly here. This is not a politically correct uh, statement that I'm about to make, but I'd rather be biblically correct. Um... We have people that are running for offices in our country, and and there are those who claim to be Christian, but they're not. Now, there's more than just one that you might be thinking of. The deal is this. The Bible says very clearly in 1 John chapter 4 that if you don't believe that Jesus, being God, has come in the flesh, that anything else is of the Antichrist. It's of the devil. So understand this. There are those who say, well, I believe in Jesus, but they don't think He's God. They think He's an emanation from God, as Jehovah's Witness teach. They think that He's one of many small g gods. Folks, let me just get that settled. Because there are some people that say they built on Jesus Christ. But they don't believe that He's God in the flesh and then resurrected and back to be with God till He comes back to to get us. They think that He's a good teacher. He's a good man. He's a prophet. They think that maybe Jesus and Satan were brothers. There are those out there who claim to be Christian who have many views of Jesus which aren't biblically correct. Anyone that says that Jesus is not God, even if they say that He's the foundation of what they believe, it's not Christianity. Okay? So let me clarify that as well. There are those who are saying they're Christian, but they don't believe Jesus is God. There's a main one right now who believes that Jesus and Satan were brothers. That's the doctrine of the Mormon church. Alright? They believe Jesus and Satan were brothers. Again, we don't need to go any further. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying he's not fit to be in office. I'm just simply dealing with the Christian as- aspect in the issue, okay? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you who to vote for, honestly. I mean, you could even wrestle with whether or not you would have someone who claims to be a Christian who, uh, who might not be, but has views that line up with the Bible, and someone who claims to be a Christian like the president we have right now, but his views don't line up with the Bible. So again, this isn't a political thing at all. Don't hear me go down that road. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just simply saying, there are people in public office, in prominent positions, who are claiming to be Christian. But if they don't believe that Jesus is God Himself, who took on flesh, that Jesus was a part of creation, then they don't understand who Jesus is, and the Bible says, here's how you'll know which is of the Spirit of God, which is of the Spirit of the Antichrist, if they don't believe that God came in the flesh. Yes, ma'am? Creation meaning in part in creation, yes, definitely. In Colossians chapter 1, nothing was made which wasn't made by Jesus, the Bible says. Okay, so exactly. Alright, now, let's just move on. Let's go to look at verses 9-12 through 12 over here, back in First in Peter chapter 2. And then he goes on and says, after he just said, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for, he said, but you, there's a difference between those of us who believe and those who reject Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, "...a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." He says, "...then, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans." That just simply means those who don't know God." That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, I'm not going to take too, too much time here uh, because I really think there's some things I want to move into in the next verses that God wants us to deal with tonight. But I've just broken this section down into a brief little summation here. First, understand you are different. He starts off with, but you, you're different. You are not like the world. Embrace the fact that you've been chosen by God. And there's three things in this passage that we just looked at. You've been chosen by God for. One, you have been chosen by God to belong to Him. You are His possession. And that's going to become very important later in our part of our study tonight. You've been chosen by God to belong to Him. Secondly, you have been chosen by God to declare publicly His praise. We have been chosen by God to not just say, well, what I believe is a personal matter and I'll keep it to myself. No, no, no. It's very clear here. Look what it says. That you may, verse, uh, in verse 9 here, that you may declare the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You've been chosen not only to belong to Him, but to publicly declare His praise. Um, let me just say two things that God has been speaking to my heart about just recently that, I, that kind of tie into this. One is this. If you speak up for God in these days that we're in, expect opposition. Just expect it. Don't go looking for it. Just expect it. Don't be surprised if they reject you. Don't be surprised if they think you're nuts. Don't be surprised if they say you can't say such things. And don't be one of those people who says, well, I'm going to say it anyway. Just say it. Smile. Love them. Move on. Don't don't feel like it's your personal you know agenda or prerogative to be be a jerk, but don't be afraid to just speak up when it's time and just leave it at that. The second thing is this, and I just want to just take a second here to deal with this and it'll become a little bit more clear if we get there in the study. God really spoke to my heart tonight as I've been dealing with some issues and and helping some friends through some struggles and hardship in their life. And he brought to my mind, it's like, again, I've been teaching you how to meditate on the Word of God. Put it in your heart and just kind of run it through and let God speak to you. He took a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to most of us in James when it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds." Right? What does it go on to say after that? Because it produces character and endurance and perseverance. Listen closely. It doesn't say it should produce. It says it will. Now listen closely to me here. I want to encourage you. If you are born again, if you have been given the Spirit of God, if you are a chosen people, if you are a royal priesthood, if you are a people belonging to God, listen to me. Whatever you're going through is going to produce this perseverance. If it doesn't, you're not saved. You don't have the Spirit. Now again, I'm not saying that so you sit around worrying about whether or not you're saved. I just want to do it the other way, to encourage you. The Bible says that these trials, we saw this earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, have come to what? Prove our faith genuine. Folks, if you're still sticking with the Lord, guess what? Perseverance is being developed in you. It's not a, boy, if you would just respond appropriately to trials, then you'd get perseverance. No, the Scripture says they will produce that perseverance. So I just want to encourage you. If you're having it rough sometimes following the Lord, and you are going through the stuff that everybody else in the world goes through, and you keep trusting Him in faith, guess what? You've been sealed by His Spirit, and He's doing His work. If you haven't left, you're probably not going to. Yep. So I just want to encourage you with that. It was such a neat thing as I was praying for a friend this afternoon who just got more bad news about his wife's cancer. But he and I had met this morning to sit down at McDonald's and we had been reading our Bibles together. We had been meeting regularly to encourage each other and we prayed about this situation. He went to Orlando. They got the bad news. That the cancer is not gone and it's back and they've got more chemo. But God just spoke to my heart and said, these trials will produce perseverance. Not, see, I used to pray, boy, I hope they respond real well to this. I hope they respond well. And God said, uh-uh. It will produce perseverance. So I just want to encourage you. He's going to get you there. That's such a cool way to look at that. Now, third thing, though, that he said, not only are we chosen by God to belong to Him or also to declare publicly His praise, we're also chosen by God to live like an alien in this world. You see that there, dear friends? Verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And then it goes on to say, live such good lives that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll know that they're lying. But I just want you to understand, the sooner we try, try, stop trying to fit into both worlds and just accept who we are, the easier it'll be. Uh, that's one. Yes, sir? You know, man, as I was reading the first time earlier, mm-hmm. it, I, it just dawned on me. In the Old Testament, God chose Israel mm-hmm. as He's chosen. Mm-hmm him. Then, if you read this verse, we are now his chosen in the New Testament. That's correct. And whatever Israel had to go through, chastisement, whatever happened to him, erased it. Exactly. The same will be for us. Like I was just talking about. Because we are his child, he will finish what he starts with those of us who are his. That's a wonderful, wonderful encouragement. It's a wonderful encouragement. But, I want to just say to this to you, you're a new creation. You're a new creation if you are in Christ. You're not just a saved human. You're not just a regular human who's been forgiven. You're not just like everybody else except you're forgiven. You are now superhuman. You have God Himself not only forgiving you of your sins, but taking up residence within you. And I really want that to sink in, because I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. Think about the fact that when Jesus walked on this earth, He was not only human, but He was also God. We can't see the spiritual realm. But the demons who were in that man who had the legion of demons, when Jesus walked up, what did they see? They saw physical Jesus, but that isn't what they were afraid of. They saw God. We know who you are. They could see the spiritual realm. Do you not understand that if you've been born again, the Spirit of God has come to indwell you, and you are in that same position right now. It is amazing. But what happens is, is most of us lose sight of that. We don't understand it. It's beyond our comprehension. And we try to live in our own strength. I just want to encourage you, as we take a look at what's going to be going on in this study, Stop seeing yourself as just a regular human being who's been forgiven. God Himself lives within you. And now we need to take serious what it is that we've been given. Remember, you are receiving the salvation of your souls. We had looked at in First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But I really want to move into this next section tonight. I just really feel like God wants us to move forward. And so in this next section, it's First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 13 through 25, and we'll see how far we get. But there's a lot here that I really want us to dive into tonight. Peter goes on now and says, Submit yourselves therefore, or for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He didn't retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him, Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is a section I think God wants us to camp in tonight. And again, we'll, we'll see how far we get. But Peter immediately now goes in and says, after all this, you're a new creation. You're a different people. Uh, he then says, submit yourselves though for the Lord's sake. To every authority instituted among men whether to king or the supreme authority sorry as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong now i got to lay some foundation here uh, if our understanding of when we believe Peter wrote this was correct chances are that right now the the ruler over Rome was Nero yeah, yeah. now here's another thing at this point the Roman emperors hadn't made people bow down to them, declaring them to be God. Okay, So Peter is not under the emperor saying, you need to bow down to me and worship me as God. He's not saying submit to their authority in that sense, because at this point, most likely, the people he was writing to hadn't had to deal with that. But if you know anything of Nero, he wasn't a fun guy to have as your ruler. All right, Especially if you were a Christian. So interestingly enough, Right after he says, you're aliens and strangers in this world, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, he then says a very interesting thing. He says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit yourself to the authorities. You you, you said it, Allison. Did you catch that? For the Lord's sake. Actually, what I want to do is I want to pull out of the section that we just read all the times and the ways in which Peter pulls out that the reason we're doing this, don't try to figure out why. Alright, stop figuring out why. Stop looking for, well, where are my loopholes? And let's just deal with this issue. We're doing this because God said to. Alright, so stick with me here. Look in verse 13, you see, for the Lord's sake. Look at verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence. Look at verse 19. It says in verse 19, at the end of that verse because he bears up under pain of unjust suffering why? because he's conscious of God. Look at verse 20. This at the end of verse 20, this is commendable before God. Look at verse 21. To this you were called. What he's saying here in this passage and by the way in the last one verse 25, you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. In this passage when he says, I want you to submit yourself to the authority that's there of men. Every authority of men. I want you to submit yourself to them. And do it because God says to. Now please don't understand or misunderstand, Peter says. I want you to understand. This isn't something that you have a choice about. This is in the imperative. It's in the command. Submit yourselves. He didn't say think about it. He didn't say pray about it. He says, do it. Oh, and by the way, Jesus did. Jesus did. Did He have the authority and the power to keep Himself from being arrested? Was He being unjustly accused? But we know now that God had a reason. God had a plan. And even though Jesus knew what it was, because He's God, the rest of mankind didn't understand it. And neither did the Romans. Neither did the Jews. The Bible says they wouldn't have killed them if they had known. And so what Peter is saying to the Christians now is, I want you to understand that you are special. But in this world, for God's purposes that you may or may not understand, that don't have to end up in some sweet solution in this life, that He may have you take it on the chin. You know what the reaction of most Christians today is when we suffer unjustly? Wine. Wine. I have my rights. I'm an overcomer. And all of a sudden, a whole bunch of bad theology starts to creep to the surface. When you accept Christ, you lose your rights. Exactly. When you accept Christ, as Susan just said, you you give up your rights. Remember? We've already seen that we were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not your own. Now, I can't tell you ultimately how it's going to work out. I can't tell you what God's purpose is in some of this. But I can tell you this much, the Scripture says uh, it's for the Lord's sake. It's God's will because he's, you should be doing it because you're conscious of God. And this is actually commendable before God. And to this you are called. So well, I'm I, I just going to be honest with you. This isn't one of those lessons that we like to hear. Because nowadays we can go to some big old churches where they won't preach this ever. And we can walk out feeling real good. But you've got to remember, who's Peter writing to? He's writing to Christians who have been scattered, who have ended up in this area who were dealing with fun guy Nero. And Peter says, guys, I... I I don't know how else to say this to you except this. God says that you need to submit yourself to the authority of the men that are over you. Now, especially for us Americans, this is hard. Because we live in a government where we can have a say in our government and thank God for it. We live in a country in which we can vote in or out who we want for the most part. But the Bible actually says God controls who ends up ultimately anyway. We live, in, we live in a country where we can protest and occupy. But ultimately, for us, we should be listening to who? God. And we just need to trust Him in those situations. Now, there are going to be times when government's going to say, do this, and it contradicts the Word of God. We're not going to take our time to go down that road. Hopefully you understand that if what they're asking you to do contradicts God's Word, you're not going to do it. I mean, you're going to fear God more than man. Alright? If you were listening to my radio program recently, uh, I think it was today even, we dealt with the fact that Rahab plain out lied. When, the, when the, 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 the governor sent men and said, Hey, who are, where are those men that came to you? They're from Israel. She goes, I don't know where they're from. But they left. <laughs> they left right before you all closed the gate. If you are, you can maybe catch them. The whole time, they were sitting up on her roof, hiding under some flax. Now, we got to deal with that sometimes and say, Wait a minute, she lied. And if you listen to my radio program, what God had me pull out was this. She feared God more than she feared man. That's the real issue in that situation. She feared God more than she feared man. Because if she feared man, she would have said, they're right on my roof. Because if she got found out that she was hiding them, they would have killed her. But she had a greater fear of God than she did man. She lied! All what I see is a woman who feared God more than man. And that's a greater issue. So, like I say, I I can't tell you how God's going to work all this stuff out. Uh, Oh, by the way, if you know history, how did it work out for some of these people who were under Nero's rule? They got to see Jesus pretty quick. I'm only going to say this because some of you may not know this. Many of you probably already do. Um, When we go to ball games nowadays, and we have a game at night, there's the stadium lights. Nero was one of the first ones to come up with stadium lights. Unfortunately, he didn't use electricity. And this is the truth. He took Christians, tied them up on top of poles, covered them in tar, and lit them on fire. And lit their night games with the bodies of burning Christians. They were told, deny your faith in Jesus Christ and you live. Don't deny your faith and you'll be put to death. And so at these stadium games... People would cheer as Christians were in the middle, having to defend themselves against lions, and of course the lions won. But the whole time, while it was happening at night, up on the poles around the stadium, it was lit because the Christians were on fire. See, what we want to hear now is we want to hear a message that says, okay, just trust God. He's going to work it all out. No, no. We're aliens and strangers here. You've been through the Hebrew study with us. Those men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, many were sawn in two, others were put to death by the sword. They wandered in deserts and caves. The world was not worthy of them. They were looking for a city whose foundation and builder was God. They weren't thinking about here. And folks, we've got to be honest. Here in America, especially, with all the blessings, we've become fat and happy. And we think we've got it tough. Because my IRA isn't worth as much as it used to be. Folks, I just want to be honest with you. If Jesus tarries, stuff's going to keep happening. And He says, submit yourself to their authority. Remember what Jesus did when He stood before Pilate? Pilate looked at Him and says, Don't you know I have the authority to have you put to death or to be released? And Jesus stood there calmly and said, You wouldn't have any authority over Me unless it were given to you by My Father. So ultimately, I may be looking at you, Pilate, but I'm really looking at him. And I'm fine. I'm fine. dude. Well, you know, you, you talked about the uh, Christians facing the lions. Mostly what we hear in church is Daniel and the lions' den. We hear about Daniel and the lions' den. We hear about his, the Lord protecting him, but we don't hear about the ones that had to suffer. Exactly. We don't hear a whole lot of sermons preached about Stephen who was stoned to death. You got to see Jesus stand. But at the same time, we don't hear much about the actual stoning itself. You're right. Folks, again, I'm not trying to be a bummer, but if I'm going to be faithful to teach the book, the book simply says, we need to do what we do with an understanding that God is the one who calls the shots in our life. And we need to have that understanding. So, this obedience to God is a big part of living in reverent fear. Remember back in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 17. It says, since you call on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. I want to begin taking us a look down a road a little bit of really dealing with what it means to fear God. If you remember last week I told you we were going to talk about the five different types of fear and our reactions to it. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, look at verses 12 and 13. Let's let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. As you're turning there, as we've been talking about this, I just think about John the Baptist. Is what happened to John the Baptist just or unjust? unjust. If you know the whole story, the reason why John the Baptist was killed was because a little girl danced for the king. He was drunk. He made a vow and said, man, I'm so happy about your dance. I'm going to give you anything you want up to the half of my kingdom. The little girl was like, I don't know what to do with an offer like this. She runs to her mom and says, what do you want? What what should we ask for? Her mom says, I want the head of John the Baptist. So the girl goes back and says, my mom wants the head of John the Baptist. And the king had already made a vow in front of all these other people and he had to keep it. And John the Baptist was put to death because a little girl danced and a king made a silly vow. How'd that all work out for the best here in this life? The Bible doesn't say it will. The interesting thing is, is when John the Baptist was sitting in prison, he was starting to struggle. <laughs> Are you the one who was to come or should we look for someone else? And all Jesus sent back to him was this. Everything's right on schedule. Is your faith one that says, I know who he is and though he slay me? Yet will I trust Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, look at verses 12 and 13. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, listen closely, for your own good. In order for us to really move into an understanding of a biblical definition of fear of God, we have to first understand that what God asks of us is good. We know in Romans 8.28 that He causes all things to work for good. We assume that it's going to work for good here. He doesn't promise that. He just said He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And here we're told to fear God, obey His commands, obey His decrees, love Him. See, that's kind of hard for us because we don't see how loving someone and obeying them can go together. How many of you wives, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, when you were putting together your marriage ceremony, said, I promise to love Him, I ain't going to obey Him. You had a hard time seeing the two as compatible but biblically as you're going to see down the road obeying God and loving God are the same thing. But we have not seen them as the same thing. We see his commands, we see his com- commands as not fair. Harsh. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the five different ways that people react to the fear of God. The first one is this. Some people's fear of God causes them to fight Him. You know, the Bible says when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, that God put a fear of God in the Canaanites. What was the reaction of the Canaanites to the fear of God? They fought the Israelites. They were fighting God. Sometimes when we have a fear of God, we want to fight Him. We want to resist Him. We want to see if we can exert our will over His and who's going to win. Hopefully you know that's stupid. But you need to understand how you view God will shape how you react to Him. And if you think He's someone that's not nice, you're going to fight Him. If you think He's someone that's unfair, you're going to resist Him. You're going to push back. How you view God will show how you react to it. Will be shown by how you react to him. Some people's fear of God causes them to fight him. Other people's fear of God causes them, causes them to hide from him. Remember what Adam and Eve did? We heard you in the garden and we were afraid. So we hid. Some people are smart enough to know fighting God's a foolish thing to do. You're never gonna win. But they think, I'll hide. You know the Bible says there's nowhere you can go that he ain't there? Hiding from Him is silly too. But some people think that if I hide from Him, He won't be able to find me. Go ahead. Jonah. <laughs> Go ahead. This is the first one? The lack of fear respect Well, actually, it's, it is an actual fear of God. Say, say for example, a, ba- a, a burglar comes into your house. And you're afraid. But you'll still, in that fear reaction, there's fight or flight. Those of you who took psychology, you know. There's a reaction. It's either fight or flight. Sometimes we'll fight something we're afraid of. But at the same time, in Adam's situation, he was afraid. By the way, remember when your kids were little, and they used to do this, and they thought you couldn't find them? It's the same kind of a deal. It's silly to hide from God, thinking that he won't be able to find you. But some people's fear of God causes them to hide. There's a third way that people react to the fear of God. Uh, Some people's fear of God paralyzes them. Think of the third servant in the parable of Talents. I, I saw you as a hard man gathering where you haven't scattered seed and harvesting where you haven't sown, and I was afraid. So I didn't do anything. I didn't run I didn't hide. I just sat there in paralyzed fear. Sometimes isn't that our reaction to fear? Sometimes we'll fight. Sometimes we'll run and hide. Other times we'll just sit there frozen. The Bible also says that there's a fourth reaction, which is a good reaction, but it only should happen and last for a short period of time. There's a fear of God that causes us to run to Him for salvation. Remember, we've already looked at this in an earlier part of our study, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the of the Holy One brings understanding. And there is a fear of God that Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 12 that says, I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. Don't be afraid of man who only can do damage to your body, and after that can't do any more. Be afraid of the one who has the authority to throw your body and your soul into hell. I tell you, yes, fear him and there is a fear of God that causes us not to run from him not to fight him not to be paralyzed but to fall before him and say I need your mercy I need your help you are God I'm not I'm unable to be righteous in your eyes but I believe your promise and I believe that you're good and I run to you for mercy and the Bible says and when you do that 1 John 4:18, perfect love now casts out fear listen because that kind of fear has to do with punishment The one who's afraid of punishment has not been made complete or perfect in love. And so as I've already talked to you about, if you're a child of God, stop thinking that He's going to get you. Stop thinking that He's punishing you for what you've done. Whenever you think that what's going on in your life, this trouble that you're going through, and by the way, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Hebrews 12 says, endure hardship as discipline. And we're going to go through stuff. It's a part of being in this life. But Jesus Himself learned obedience. Did you catch that? Learned obedience through what He suffered. Yet we keep trying to live a life without suffering. How many times have you ever thought to yourself, I want to like move to Fiji. Because we think that somehow if we get to an island somewhere, everything will be nice and smooth and there will be no suffering and no pain. Psychologically, I know when I was a pastor, there were stretches that I would go through the toll booth on the B line, heading to Orlando for whatever I needed to do. And I would sit there and think, well, oh, I'd like the toll taker's job. <laughs> he probably doesn't think about his work when he goes home at all. And sometimes when I would be overwhelmed and overburdened, the toll tapers job looks so good to me. I just wanted to sit there and say, $1.50, thank you. $1.50, thank you. You know, I want to just take people's money. But at the same time, in all of us, there's this subconscious, if I get to this place, whatever it is, things will be smoother. As soon as I get enough money, as soon as I get my health, as soon as I get there, folks, stop. Stop running from the only way that you're really going to get to know God better. Remember how Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. But we always stop at that point. Yeah, I want to know Him too. No, no, no. In the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. Oh, by the way, how did Jesus learn obedience? What did He go through? He submitted Himself to the authorities that were there. He said to mom and dad when he was 13, don't you know I'm supposed to be in my, mom, my father's house? And they said, come with us. And he obeyed them. Even though he created them. He submitted himself to, to Joseph and Mary's authority. Later on, you'll see him continue to submit to the authorities. When the Pharisees said, does your master pay the temple tax? Peter goes, uh, yeah, I think so. Pretty sure he does. And Jesus said, let me ask you a question, Peter. He said, "Uh, um, who's supposed to pay the tax? The children of the king or the servants? Well, the servants, not the children. He said, right, the children are exempt. But, so we don't cause any problem. Go catch a fish, pull out coins out of its mouth, go pay our tax. Give unto Caesar what's Caesar's. Give unto God what's God's. He submitted himself to the authorities that were there. And he stood before Pilate, like I said. And he let himself be put to death. Are you ready to go to a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Christian? Or would you just rather hear about preaching that says everything's going to work out here? There's no promise. Oh, by the way, this will weed out those who are for real and those aren't, because the Bible says when trouble comes, those who had no root went away. You got a choice. But there's a fifth fear. There's a fifth definition of the fear of God, or a reaction to the fear of God, which we're going to be spending a lot of time on as we continue to go through Peter. For Christians, we should have a fear of God that causes us to obey Him because we know that He is good. And that He alone is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Now, again, we're going to have to take some time to get there because... In theory, we think we understand this, but we kind of don't. Let me read it again. For Christians, we should have a fear of God that causes us to obey Him, not because we're afraid of punishment, not because we're afraid that He's going to smack us if we don't, but because we see Him as good, and we know Him as good. I want to do what He says because He makes good choices. And everything He does is perfect. Therefore, if I believe that God is holy, that He can do no wrong, that everything He says is for my best, whatever He says, I want to do. Why? Because He knows. I trust Him. Yeah, but your flesh, doesn't your flesh kind of fight against that? Oh yeah, my flesh does, but my flesh isn't going to be in charge. I've got to lay my body on the altar and deny myself and daily renew my mind and say, no, this is about a God who loves me. I don't understand why He's doing this, but I trust Him. I share this just simply to let you know that preachers have this happen to them too, because too many people sit and look and say, oh, you're blessed by God because you're a preacher. We're going through a time in our life, as we've shared, where a lot's happening. Oh, and it continued. My sister was in town, and I apologize that I didn't introduce her to you last week, but it's my sister. I don't think about that stuff. And, and, uh, and I'm a brother. I'm not supposed, to, not supposed to be nice to her anyway. And so, but She's from New Hampshire. And we've had some nice weather, so we haven't been running the air conditioning. But my sister from New Hampshire says, it's hot. Turn on the air conditioning. So we turn it on. And it didn't come on. And The reason I was almost late tonight is we just finished writing a check for $1,744. Remember how we've been dealing with air conditioning stuff? You've heard me talk about this before. That was the outside unit. Now we're dealing with the inside unit. It had to be replaced. But you know what? I praise God for a wife who said to me two or three days ago, before this even happened, I feel like God is just giving me a heads up that He may wipe our savings out just to continue to teach us to trust in Him. (laughs) Now, most of you say, she shouldn't have said that. No, 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 you don't understand. Folks, I'm not going to be one of those people that's sitting there trying to worry about superstitious reactions. That is a wrong fear of God. That's a fear that causes you to be paralyzed. Oh, don't say that. Don't tell God where you don't want to go. That's a fear fear that's paralyzing. That's not a biblical fear. We both can look you in the eye and say, you know what? If our savings goes to zero, we're going to be alright. Because everything He does is good. And I'm starting to understand what it means to relax in the presence of a holy God and to biblically fear Him. He's in charge. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen closely to what it says here in verses 1-5. through 5. God speaking through Moses, He says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Now keep in mind, He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Don't try to spiritualize this and say that you're going to get everything that you are promised here. Okay? What has God promised us? And then He won't leave us. What else has He promised us? It's going to be a whole theme for our Bible cruise. Heaven. Eternity with Him. He's promised us peace and joy in the midst of suffering. He's promised us His presence. He promised us never that it all was going to be good here. So when you read this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and receive what I promised you, Christians. But remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Look at closely. God led them in that time period to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. Now, real quickly, let me just remind you, did God not know what was in their heart? Did God not know whether or not they are going to keep His commands? Of course He did. Remember, Peter says, I'll die for you. Jesus says, actually, you will way down the road 25 years from now, but um, right now you're going to deny you even know me. He knows everything about us. This isn't to find out what their reaction would be. This was to teach them, correct? What He already knew. Allison, go ahead. He's also using covenant Lord, and for them in the language, they would have known that the one who keeps Promises. The one who keeps His promises, for sure. Now look closely at what it says here. The Lord led you all these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. It's for you. Whether or not you would keep His commands, for you, not for, for, for God. But look closely at this next verse. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding. Did you catch that? Who made them hungry? See, a lot of times when we come through trials, we keep thinking it's because we've done something wrong. Isn't that your first thought? When trouble comes, I must not have followed the formula. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe God is punishing me for something I've done wrong. You ever had those thoughts? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you said no, I know who's whispering in your ear right now, and it ain't God. God says, I did this. And I did it for a couple of reasons. One, to show you what I already knew about you so that you would understand where you really are so I could help you move to the next place. But until you understand where you are, I can't get you to the next place because you think you're already there and you're not. But I also did it to teach you. Look closely. I did it to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That does sound familiar. (laughs) Did you catch that? He uses, the physical to teach the spiritual. he uses the physical to teach the spiritual. So if you're going through something right now, let me just say this. I can, if you're a child of God, I can guarantee you what's going on. God is using it to shape you. First of all, to understand what He already knows about you. He's going to bring, your out of your reaction, He's going to teach you. And you just got to be willing to acknowledge it. When you find, are able to move on is when you finally acknowledge where you really are. And for example, uh, as I shared with you before, and I told God, man, if you just have someone just promise to bless this ministry so I'd never have to worry about it again, that'd be really great. And then later on God said, I already made you that promise, why don't you trust me? Hasn't God already said that he meet all of our needs? Yes. Hasn't God already promised that He'd always be with us? Yes. Yet we fall into fear that God might not come through. And it's partially because we think we haven't been good enough. And that we think it's a cause and effect relationship. God says to you, my child, stop looking at it in a legalistic, fleshly manner. You are a new creation. You are a peculiar people. You're a royal priesthood. I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. I'm going to ask you to submit yourselves to every authority of man. Because you trust me. And then he says something in verse 16. Go back to verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And I've got to be honest with you, as tough as this message has been, we're about to hit a tougher curveball here. Right after he says that we're to submit ourselves first to God and then to man, he then says, live as free men. Look at that! wait a minute, God, you just said that we're to submit ourselves to you because you're ultimately in charge of our souls and you're the one who's calling the shots now because you bought us with your blood. And a part of that now, you're saying to be like Jesus and willing to submit ourselves to the authorities around us and ultimately show that our trust is in you, not in man. How in the world can I live as a free man? Listen closely. Our freedom comes from the joy of knowing our true position in Christ. Christ. Why did Jesus stand before Pilate, not afraid? Why did He stand there like He wasn't chained? Why did He stand there like He was actually in control of what was going on, even though it looked like everyone else was in control? Because He was in control. Because He was God. And not only that, in the flesh, he was submitting himself to the authority of his Father, and he was resting in the one who was ultimately in control. And he could look him in the eye and say, you'd have no power over me unless it was given to you by my Father. If I'm put to death, it's my Father, that's his plan. If you release me, that's my Father's plan too. Because we know the Scripture said it had been God's plan all along that he would die. Our our freedom comes from the joy of knowing our true position in Christ. Listen to some things that God had me write down here. You are in Christ. He's not just in you. That's a small view. You are in Christ. Uh, Think Satan can do anything he wants to you now? Not unless your father gives him permission. And any authority he has over you, he's been given from your father. And your father has a reason. And oh, by the way, it's for your good. We are also free from the law of sin and death. God's not judging our good or our bad anymore, folks. Oh, He cares about our behavior, and He is the loving Father who will discipline us and shape us. But again, why is He disciplining us? It's for our good, to, to shape us and to mold us, and it's for our best. We're free from anxious guilt over our past. Hopefully you understand that. I know how many times God, have uh, Satan, used to whisper in my ear as a young boy after salvation to think, "Well, one day they're going to find out about that." God says, "You're free. I've already forgiven it. I'm not going to hold it against you anymore." We're also free from the dread of the future. We're free from petty legalism. We don't have time to turn there, but in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said what? You'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. But actually, I quoted verse 32. Does anybody know what 31 says? If you continue in my yes, if you obey my commands. Just do what I say. Trust me. Do what I say. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. We'll go go there real quick. Go to what Paul says here in Galatians 5, 1 through 6. He said, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. Now, now, real quickly, for those that might not understand, the Christians in this church were being told by Jewish people that in order to be really Christian, they had to be circumcised too and follow the law of Moses. Paul says, no, you're given freedom in Christ. You're given grace and salvation by your faith alone, not by whether or not you follow the law. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. He's not saying you lost your salvation. You're just not enjoying the benefit of this grace that you've been given. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Again, he's saying, look, don't fall into that pattern of, did I do good enough for God to bless me today? Or I've done bad, God's not going to be really blessing me. That's not the issue. You're in Christ. You're free from that way of life. Your Father now is wanting to bless you in many ways. Some we like. Some we don't understand. But even the trials are a blessing. That's why we're told to count it all joy. Because it will produce what God wants it to produce. He then goes on real quickly and says, Our freedom is not an excuse for sin and immorality. Our freedom lets us live in a relaxed way as we trust and obey the One who has brought bought the rights to our souls with his own blood, and is using all things for our good. Stop reacting to hardship by thinking God is punishing you. Rest in his already proven love for you. Now, we're going to pick up next week where we left off here and continue on. But for tonight, I just want to pray for you as we close. that. Some of these truths will begin to sink in. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm still in the process of really starting to digest what we're looking at here and what it means to react to the fear of God in the proper way. I'm starting to recognize when my reaction to my fear of God is fighting Him, and I stop. I'm starting to recognize when my reaction to my fear of God is to run and hide, and I stop. And I'm starting to recognize when I respond in paralyzed reaction, and I stop. Uh, And when I find myself thinking he's going to punish me, I quickly realize that and stop. And I'm starting to now respond to who he is as a child who really, really thinks he's on the winning team. My kids have honored me over the years, especially when we go to theme parks and they have to choose between hanging out with their friends... Or going around the park with Dad. You see, over the years, I've kind of proven to them that I like to have fun. And I know how to do roller coaster parks where you don't wait. There's ways to do it. And there have been times that we have been on youth trips with our church and the church choir. And on the way back from their mission trip, they'll stop at a theme park. And as long as the kids are in groups of four, they can run and do the park all they want, however they want. And our kids have to go through this struggle of... I want to go hang out with my friends. But I also know that if I go with Dad, I'm going to have the best day of my life here at this park. And many's the time, they have chosen not to run with their friends, but say, Dad, I want to go with you. You know what's really been cool? is over time, because I've been on a few of these trips with them. Now their friends are saying, can we go with you with your dad? Listen, listen. This is how it should be and will be when you learn to live in the biblical fear of God. You know following Him and His plan is best. And in time, as people watch you live your life, even though they accuse you of doing wrong when it's not true, they will ultimately say, can I come with you into the presence of your Father? Because He's good. So what needs to happen first is we need to believe it. So let's pray. Father, oh, wow. I'm actually a little bit overwhelmed, just a little bit right now, Lord, because I have to be honest, as You speak through me and I sense Your Spirit doing the teaching, I also know how much I still struggle with accepting the truth of this awesome message. I know how much my past and my, the, the lies that I've believed for all these years have hindered my ability to really see you for who you really are. And you're beginning in many ways through blessings that I consider blessings and through trials, which I'm learning are blessings as well. I'm learning and I'm starting to begin to see you for who you really are. And Lord, I, I just publicly thank you for the fact that you're doing it in my wife at the same time and we get to go through this journey together. And I pray for husbands and wives in here right now who might not be experiencing this growth, this understanding at the same time. They might have a spouse who's not understanding these things and is still struggling with who you really are. And I just pray for them right now and the leadership of your spirit. You're leading me to do it. So Lord, I know that you've got something you want to do. So Lord, work in their marriages, I pray. But Lord, I pray for those of us not only here tonight in this study, in this room, but also those that are listening online, that we would really look at your Word And whenever we would read obey, whenever we would read fear, that we would not see it as or else. But may we see it as saying, I've got the best plan. And may we believe it and just want to do what you say and then we'll begin to experience what it means to obey you and love you. Lord, take us down this road. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.